Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, episode 90, in which I interview Alexandra Gongolsky, also known as Sir Ab Eternum, Hillel, and Sir Eve. But first... This is the segment in which David Bowie and I take you up the paths of the Tree of Life. Thank you, David Bowie, or in this case, from Malkut to Keter. Today we'll be going up the path of Kof, the path of the Moon card, and approaching, but not entering, our temple in Metzah. Before listening to this segment, You'll want to listen to episode 35, the intro to episode 45, the intro to episode 62, and all of episode 79 first. If you haven't listened to these, please put your fingers over your ears and go la 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 for the next few minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Do whatever thou wilt. So first we'll be entering into our temple in Malkut. in a new way. Well, might be new to you. It's not new to me. In your mind's eye, imagine you are standing right where you are. Allow yourself to grow larger and larger, and the earth gets smaller and smaller around you. You see whatever mountains, ocean, wherever you are, all of it shrinking in size. The moon comes down, all of it moves down towards your feet. And Mars and Venus, there they go, the asteroid belt, ooh, that tickles, there goes Mercury and the Sun, all at your feet, the outer planets. And you can see the whole galaxy around you, and all of it then moves to your feet. Very good. And there's the Virgo cluster, we got it, all of it, oh, 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 but it's infinite, oh, oh, no, it's not, there's the edges, and it all goes to your feet. Okay, keep getting bigger now. Keep rising up start to realize you're standing on a great horizontal plane in all directions and it's starting to become clear that there are four quadrants and they each have a color one is citrine and the opposite one is black then is the olive and on its opposite side is the russet and it goes on forever in infinite directions on a horizontal plane. Oh, wait, no, there's an edge. Oh, and there's some white something. Oh, you're standing on an earth panicle. Oh, there it is. And it's exactly the size of a regular earth panicle. And you're standing on your altar in your temple in Malkut. Get down from there. What are you doing? Okay, welcome. Look around. Remember what it looks like? Okay. If you don't, you haven't heard episode 35. Just keep going. Just keep going forward. It's okay. You might want to backtrack and listen to that later, but I'm going to move on. So, standing at the central altar, reaching up, drawing down the light from the crown to the third eye, drawing it down to the feet, and starting a new one on the right, drawing it to the left, bringing your hands together, option to pause here and do an astral LBRP. Okay, welcome back. Anyway... Moving to the east, 
You see the three portals there, all closed. Maybe it's a curtain. Maybe the whole thing's a curtain, so you can see. Have you been watching Twin Peaks? Oh my god. Hey, you can see that if you part the middle one. Oh yeah, it's the universe card. We went down there in episode 45, didn't we? Okay, let's close that. And there on the left is the Shin, the judgment card. We'll open that. Oh yeah, the judgment card. We went through that in episode 62. Let's close that. Okay, now we'll go to the right side of the eastern wall. And we're going to part that curtain, and we're going to observe there before us the imagery of the classical book T moon card. You see there on the other side of the curtain, the deep crimson sky, the waxing crescent moon. of yellow-green, the color of Virgo. You also see the shadowy side, the dim light reflected off the earth, back off of the dark side, back off of the shadowy part of the moon, and around that whole sphere of the moon are the 32 rays, where all the paths and all the sephirons of the tree of life come together unconscious. In our, in our individual and collective. In our unconscious. The crawdad crawling out of the water and on to the yellow brick path. The green rolling hills all around and in the distance the rising light and two pillars on either side. And there are two jackals. The one on the left leans down to warn and threaten the crawdad. The one on the right is looking forward down the path, the same way we are facing toward the moon. You approach the image, and using the divine name of the higher of the two Sephiroth connected to this path, Reaching up, drawing down, projecting forward. Yod Hear the Archangel Drawing the letter both there and the mic. Projecting out the cove. The image comes alive full five-dimensional glory, the colors vivid, you approach the portal between your Templar Malkut and the moon card. You reach up with both hands, draw down to eye level, project forward, step with the left foot, step through, turn around, and close the door or veil behind you. Once again, you're in your temple in Malkut. You reach up above your head, draw down, project forward, step through, turn around, and close the veil behind you. One last time, you're in your temple in Malkut, facing the moon card. You reach up, draw down, project forward, step through, turn around, and close the veil behind you. It's okay. You can breathe. You open your eyes. Your eyes adjust. 
can see. You are inside the ocean, but you are safe. You look down below. It's dark. You don't know how deep it is. It's okay. You move down. Your feet touch the ground. You call upon the Divine Mother, by whichever of her many names resonates. And a great statue palace illuminates, illuminating the bottom of the sea. And you are safe here. And you can see clearly. You approach the undersea temple. You touch it with your hand. And you see that it is the hand of a baby. Look at your reflection. And you see that you are the infant Harpakrat, wearing the crown of double Egypt and a diaper. And a big friendly crab comes crawling up climb onto its back. What's it like riding on the back of that crab? You feel the blessing from the beautiful palace behind you. Knowing that you are safe on this journey toward the shore, you contemplate what this sea must mean as a microcosmic symbol. As your head reaches the surface of the water, ah, now you're breathing air. And you look up and you see the sky is crimson today. And you look in front of you and you see the shore. Oh, and there comes from the left the jackal. And he comes up and he demands of you, what dost thou seek? And you say, oh, I think I know this one. And you say, I seek to learn that I may serve. The jackal says, goes off. And there's another jackal up ahead who has a, a lighter vibration. You realize that there's a yellow brick road if you, with great rolling green hills on either side. And in the distance down along the pathway, you can see that there are two pillars, a black pillar on the left, a white pillar on the right. You see where the jackal is looking at that great beautiful moon with the 32 rays waxing crescent and the great dark shadow. The jackal begins walking down the path away from you. You step off of the back of the crab, turn and thank it. You look at your hands and realize you are back to your normal self. Turn back around to face east toward the moon and you begin to follow the jackal down the path. hill, the path leads down beside some still, stagnant waters, and the jackal is gazing into these waters. Kneel down and look into the waters as well. At first you see your own reflection, it looks a bit distorted by the light ripples in the water, and then you notice beneath the surface, stones, tadpoles. And the further down into the water you look, the murkier it gets. And the jackal says, 
This is the past. Water, stagnant, silent, and still. Reflecting all, concealing all. He who rises from the great waters is his name. Hail unto ye, dweller of the land of night, for the rending of darkness is near. The jackal turns away from you and continues down the yellow path. You shrug, think, that was weird, and continue to follow him. Somehow you found your way back near the ocean, and there is a cliffside. You can't quite see what's going on down below, but there are strong winds. Storm clouds are gathering quickly. And the jackal says, This is the future, turning and troubled, the banisher of peace in the vast abode of the waters. None is so strong that can withstand the great waters, the vastness of their terror, the magnitude of their fear, the roar of their thundering voice. The storm veiled in terror is his name. Hail unto the mighty powers of nature and the chiefs of the whirling storm. And the jackal turns and continues down the yellow path away from the cliffside. You shrug, think, that was weird, and continue to follow it. And the weather has cleared up. The sky is crimson once again. You see that familiar by now, that strange moon up in the sky. And that light, that greenish light, coming up over the horizon between those two hills where the yellow path seems to lead. And you finally approach those two pillars. And you stand directly in between them. And you realize the path has become a river beneath your feet. But you are hovering. Just above the surface of that river, you can feel the waves, you can feel the mist rising from it, and you hear it, and you turn, and you face the direction the river is flowing, the direction that you have come from, and you stand there between the pillars, and allow the moon and all of its 32 rays to shine behind you and through you, illuminating you. And the jackal said, The traveler of the gates of Anubis is thy name. Thou art water, pure and limpid, ever flowing on toward the sea. You are the ever-passing present that stands in the place of the past. You are the fertilized land. Hail unto ye, the dweller of the wings of the morn. And when you realize the things that are beneath the surface of the water for what they are, and you realize the storm for what it is, and you stand between these two extremes in polarity. While there is much yet to explore in this great landscape and under the surface of that great ocean, for now, you will turn once again and allow the river to become a yellow path. We will continue down the path, leaving those pillars behind us now. The jackal is not around, but we know the way. We continue toward the horizon until we find in the middle of the path that green door. We approach the door 
And we know from episode 62 that it will be locked. And we decide that as long as we know it's not time to step through, it'll be unlocked. So we approach the door. And somehow we know the secret knock. And the door swings open. And while we can't yet see our temple in Netzach, we can feel that green light shining in from the queen scale of Netzach. The light from Keter coming down through wisdom, through Chokmah, becoming the great waters of Chesed, the waters of mercy, and channeling down through the victory, the desire. We feel that light of Keter that has become green. And we turn and we allow the light to shine from this door out and illuminate the landscape and all the birds come around flying around as if the sun had just risen. that interview, shall we? Greetings, sir. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Thank you so much, Edward. Do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Likewise. Um, I've, I'm, of course, old Aeon. I'm not sure the proper response to that. Um. Well, so the proper response <laughs> would be love is the law, love, love under will. Love is the law. Um, oh. I'm not going to pound you with the Lemix stuff, even though <laughs> I'm um, trying to respect boundaries, but I figured like... I'll <laughs> no, no, be a Thalamite. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You can be whatever you'd like to be. I, I'm going to do an intro to this, or I already, for the people listening, they've already heard it, um, where I'm going to go through the Book T version of the Moon card, though. So I've got my... I've got my old Aeon stuff, so we can we can bring in some new Aeon stuff in the uh, in the interview. That should be fine. <laughs> sure, by all means. So you had mentioned that you had three names: um, Hillel. Mm-hmm. That's my most recent. And I was free associating, and I looked up that that is the number sixty-five, um, or it's you know seventy-five has the value. 75. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. It's the same as Nuit, the nice guy goddess. Oh, there's a Yod in it. Yes. yes Got it. Is. Okay, I was looking up a different Hillel. Never mind, because mm-hmm. I was tying it in with Adonai and with the Great Seal of the United States, and that was why I sent you that document. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I'll disregard. I'll still take a look at it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good document, but yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's my most recent name um, of several that I've had over time. Um 
walking down the street on earth, I'm just Lexi nowadays. Before that, uh, I'm obviously transgender for anybody who doesn't know, and I'm very upfront about that. So mm-hmm. it used to be Chris. It used to be Christopher walking down the street. Then it became Lexi, and that was a magical process in itself, dealing with the courts, the lawyers, and getting oh, wow. the documents fixed. And so, so that was one magical process yeah. on the mundane Alcuth plane. Um, I was Soror Abe Eterno. And I guess in certain places I still am. Mm-hmm. Um, sister of the Eternal. And most recently, Hillel and in OTO. Oh, and let me say this, right? Mm-hmm. Everything coming out of my mouth has nothing to do with OTO, AA, right. or my Speaking as yourself, not order. representing. Yes, group. because people could get that misconstrued yeah. and. You know, if they're new to esoterics and they're new to secret societies and they're new to that whole thing. Yeah. That oh, makes sense. here's a person talking to another person and they seem to both have a, a big following. So they must really know what they're talking about. Like, no, <laughs> take, take everything I say with a grain of salt and yeah, judge, yeah. judge me radically. That seems to be going on on all levels these days. The uh, people just having a following and, and people think that they have credit just because they have a following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to actually have credit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, so, uh, when did you get started with magic? So, it's been about five years. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that this is okay to talk about. Um, my And I've written about it, I've self-published, so my life story is generally out there. Mm-hmm. It started in 2012, and there was a lot of hallucinogenics involved. Um, and my intention was not to find magic. However, you know, you get the right group of people sitting down meditating under the influence of, you know, LSD and some pot and yeah. that and the third. And it, it put us in the right mind state where there was like a loving connection built amongst us. And we got some type of interpersonal human relationship back and forth between us. Um, yeah. And people who, who didn't know us came to our apartment and saw our life and they saw it. You know, and these are people who were not involved in the same type of party scenes that we were. However, they were capable of seeing it. So we, I knew from back then that something was going on. Um, and I got out of that scene and got myself into a long stream of the 12-step recovery. And I did that for a while, and that was good. And it was a good stepping stone into seeking religion, mm-hmm. as I eventually felt for myself I needed to do. And, you know, I went back to Christianity being trans and finally coming out about it was not going to work with the Christian school of thought Hmm. or any of the mainstream religions as far as, you know, Buddhism seemed okay. And I wanted to get into it, but it seemed very You might find an Episcopal church now and then that would be all right with it. Yeah. And at the time, I wasn't so sure about that. Yeah. (laughs) I was was young. I was newly developing. I grew up Roman Catholic. So it was like, Mm. that was my whole Yeah, they're not so flexible. Yeah. No, and so I didn't know about all these different sects and what what differences that each one offered. You know, Uh, I saw I saw all Christianity as Roman Catholicism. Yeah, and so it pushed me right away. Catholic view of Christianity. (laughs) 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 So yeah, and then shortly after, I found paganism. I found Wicca, Mm -hmm. and it was through Wicca that I got introduced to the name Aleister Crowley. My first book by Aleister Crowley, God, in 2013, was 777 and other Kabbalistic writings. 
Now, I had good magical background by this point. I read a lot. You know, I read thousands of books by that point um, on spiritualism, on whatever, mm-hmm. you know, all different religions while I was seeking. So the concepts being portrayed weren't so foreign to me anymore. However, I, I spent $20 on this book, and it's nothing but the magician's tables and gematria and yeah. a whole bunch of Hebrew words. And I'm like, well, this is a waste of 20 bucks. <laughs> Especially with the internet and, now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and at the time, you know, yeah, PDFs, it's amazing. <laughs> I have everything on PDF, right. but I still love my life yeah. more than. You know. uh, and so that was my, that's generally how I came, I came into the back door of magic. I came in on LSD. And, uh, nice. From there, I, I stopped and, you know, I developed into a magical being. So we were talking the other day, um, you're either a Virgo or a Leo, depending on whether we're looking at the seasons and the relative position of the Earth and the Sun in the solar system or the actual constellations themselves. And you, you were saying that you hadn't decided. I mean, I mean I've asked a lot of people. Mm-hmm. One of my things is if you're not sure, ask other people mm-hmm. what, how they would feel about the situation, yeah. apply to them. And then come to your own conclusion. And one of the best ones that I heard is probably the most honest. Whichever one allows me to justify my character defects at that time, that's <laughs> I, I may go with that one. Yeah. But, I mean, Leo is great. And I've always had a, a good, strong um, connection with Leos and the sun. And So you're a sidereal Leo, but a tropical Virgo, right? Yeah, and the rising is in the same signs as well. I was right. born at the... 6:23 a.m. So it was literally August 30th, 1991, at the rising suns. <laughs> uh, Susan, who was another guest, I forget what episode number, but she's a tropical Leo and a sidereal uh, Cancer. So she's got that that dual persona going on, <laughs> depending on the day. Yeah, that, that's a hard one because I, I I don't know my general outlook being a Virgo my whole life was mm-hmm. that Virgos are leaders, even though like we don't want that type of image attached to us, mm. but we always get thrown to those positions. Well, and the Leo's without the Yoda's go. leader. Mm. That's interesting. Mm, interesting. But interesting. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, that's fine. Um, and Leos are usually the front men in any type of um, oh, astrological right. scene. They, they get the leader position. So it yeah. wasn't so much of a radical difference. I can only imagine be- all right. of a sudden becoming water sign that might be difficult yeah but it kind of makes sense i mean she's a bit artistic so not to be talk overtly talking about season behind her back but no i i think it, it it works for the someone who's such an introvert that they end up being mistaken for an introvert by because they, they, they of the of the way they express themselves as kind of a cry out into the world from that extremely introverted place so i could kind of see the going back and forth between kind of the cancer and the Leo. I've got a bit of that where I put on a red hat and then I become this really obnoxious person, but then I take it off and I mild mannered Edward. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually, I took the liberty of, let me see. I did a heliocentric reading and it turns out your earth is in Pisces. (laughs) Okay. Okay. If you, and so that's kind of interesting because, 
if those are maybe all three are true, but one is literally looking at the stars only, and then one is literally looking at the seasons only from an Earth point of view, or maybe a body point of view, and then heliocentric, maybe since the sun corresponds with Typhirid and, and the soul, maybe that's more of like a soul reading as opposed to a body reading. I don't know. Interesting mm. ideas. Well, so even today, you know, I, I look for like these magical coincidences. Um, and hopefully later on we'll have time I could talk about William Wheeler just a little bit. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But he, he was a Pisces, you know, and that, I don't know, probably tropical. And I'm not going to get into all of that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But he was a Pisces. And I, I could swear anytime I did a tarot card reading in regards to him, whether he was on the phone with me or not, the, the moon card would pop mm. up. So, yeah. you know, and Alistair Crowley's thoughts tarot um he has the hebrew letters attached to the card like they're on the card themselves so mm -hmm. i would see cough all the time and i could never figure out like why would this happen so often like and there were several cards when i would do readings but so the fact that you were doing um the moon segment card. about yeah. the moon card <laughs> i was like oh my god like this couldn't be too perfect yeah my old cult leader was a pisces also my dad and uh uh someone who i'm i'm been working a lot with lately is a Pisces. My sister, I've got a lot of Pisces in my life. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's a <laughs> no, it's all right. I think it's I'm it, it's my my Virgo. I, I attract it because I'm so analytical that the universe is trying to prove me wrong by sending all these Pisces at me to like you know prove to me that it's that it's not just a bunch of dust swirling around in the void, you know. <laughs> But it's interesting because because having trying to decide whether you're a Virgo or a Leo sounds like a Virgo kind of problem, <laughs> being very analytical. <laughs> Where the Leo would say, "I'm a Leo," <laughs> and no, Sidereal yeah. is the correct one. <laughs> I, I like that point of view, and that's something new to contemplate. Um, yeah. I'm a very I'm a very thought provoked person. Um, so I lean more towards the whole mercurial aspect anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Probably find myself down the line as just a Virgo. I'm like, I want to be left alone as a Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> Hermit card. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Leave me alone. Let me be a Virgo. So there's a teacher, um, a teacher of yours in the background of the image that people can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, was that the one that you wanted yeah. to talk about? Yeah, so that's William Wheeler. Okay. Um, God, man, we had such a good run together. Um, and there's just so much that I could talk about on his life experience, let alone the year and a half that we worked together. Hmm. Um, I was trying to work on, <clears throat> pardon me, I was trying to work on the Mass of the Phoenix out of Crowley's Book of Lies. Mm -hmm. And like any new students of Crowley will find out, there's always missing keys to every single one of Crowley's rituals that are published. You know, there's the basics, there's the LBRP and foundational stuff. You don't really need much to get into meditation or asana or, you know, pranayama. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get into the hardcore ceremonial magic, you sometimes need certain keys or phrases or, you know, he says in there, mark upon your breast perfect sign and it's like well what the heck is that that was all that i really wanted to know mm. and so i was fishing around through social media all these different facebook groups you know and just for that one key so i could do this ritual like that was all i wanted this was back in 2015 back in may 2015 mm -hmm. and so i get finally a response from this guy william wheeler and he says 
hey, hey there, I saw your post. How can this mage help you? And I was like, okay, let me see what he knows. And I already had the answer at that point. I had got a friend and he told me, I already knew the answer, but I just wanted to see what this guy knew. And so kind of back up either my friend or contradict my friend and let's see. And so this guy over the internet gave me the same exact answer that my friend gave and the same exact um, in-depth interpretation that, yes, it could be this, it could be that, it could be you use physical red blood, it could be that you use a sex magic formula. Um, and so this guy that I had never met overline, just tried to be helpful, gave me all of these different explanations. And eventually, I, I think that that was the moment. I was like, okay, I think I might want to talk to this person again, being a newcomer to the Lima, being a newcomer to the, uh, to the occult. Mm-hmm. Here seems somebody who's been around a long time, he's in his 60s, and he probably has some type of knowledge that he's willing to give me, so let me see how he can help me, he offered. And it didn't take long, you know, we became constant on the phone. I must have spent thousands of hours on the phone with that man. Um, And we had our ups, we had our downs, he had his problems, and... um, I don't want to get into too much of the sad, mushy stuff, you know, I'll stick to the magic. Yeah. Because uh, it was, it was a loving relationship at the end, but there were some, there were some trials, like any good relationship. Um, so where to begin with that whole scenario and why he's made such an impact in my life? I guess I was going through stuff. Uh, I was getting back into school for the first time in several years since high school. And I was starting college, and I was nervous as hell. And I didn't want to admit that I was nervous, but I was just a little bit fearful of messing up my schedule mm-hmm. and or fit, not being able to meet the requirements of school. Um, and I think that that was where my anxiety came from, and I just could see it, but I didn't want to admit it, or I didn't want to go that deep into myself at the time. <clears throat> and so me venting off to him over the phone, he did his thing where he put his hand out once. He said, hey, so it's Friday now. It's about Friday afternoon. I will take you on a magical retreat guided for 48 hours, Saturday and Sunday, from 12 a.m. until 12 a.m. Sunday. Yes or no? You want to do it? Like, that's the only solution I have for you. You don't have to do it, and I won't hang up the phone on you if you say no, but, like, that's the only offer I'm giving you. Otherwise, we have to move on to something else. And I was like, okay, because I really didn't say no to magic ever, mm-hmm. and that might be one of my problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I didn't say no, and that really developed um, my that that weekend developed astral vision. That weekend developed a lot of integrity. By the end of that weekend, I felt like my aura, my body of light, <clears throat> so shielded that nothing, nothing, nothing could phase me, you know. And he had introduced me to um, some angelic magic that he was formulating. He was toying around with, and he had been fishing for. God knows how long for somebody who is willing to take up and take it serious and um, that he could pass off to. So I met this guy. He was dying. He had stage four cancer when I met him back in 2015. Oh, wow. And, you know, yeah, yeah. One time I even called him early on in our um, phone calls. He's like, hey, I'm in the ER. I'm dealing with a lot of pain. Will you stay on the phone with me? I didn't know what to do. You know, do, do you? I even asked him. I was trying to play the, the the Dolomite. Do you want me to speak about magic? Do you want me to talk about your pain? Do you want me to just be a distraction to you? Mm-hmm. And I don't recall what you said, you know, but um, 
so that was our relationship. I knew that he was going to be passing soon. I knew that we'd probably never meet in person. He was on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. I had a lot going on over here. I was trying to put my life in order after my teenage years because it was fun, but I didn't progress anywhere. I had no vision. Yeah. And so I was in that phase of life at 22 years old. And um, speed up. To not, I guess the angelic magic is the most impactful reason why. Besides for the friendship that we had and the connection that we had. But um, it's one living thing that I still see every single day. Is this angelic magic. Mm. So I developed a system, Ad Societatum Angelorum. It is a five ritual initiatory order, I guess you could say. I'm working with students. Mm-hmm. I have three. I'm not, not taking any more right now. Three is my limit. And hopefully I get the other two under oath. And after they finish off their curriculums, their reading, they'll be under oath. And then... I could do the same thing I did on Saturday and give this nice, um, very gentle initiatory process. Get their, get them under oath, magical oath, and um, then we could start the rituals, you know. <laughs> and I don't mind talking about the rituals. I've published them. They're down mm-hmm. in the open for anybody who wants to see them. I, it's interesting, Where too, because be this found? is – Oh, it, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. What's I can send you a link. It? Okay. Is that, what's Add the name society. of the book? It's ad, A-D, mm-hmm. societatum, angelorum. Okay. So that'll pop up on Amazon. Uh, it was self-published. and Originally, we were hoping to get that done by the beginning of this year, only he was passing away. And so it was like, okay, I'm not going to do everything that I wanted to do with the book. I wanted to do full, in-depth um, biographies of each of the archangels, and I still want to do that. I just have to find the time. Um and there's some other cool rituals that I have that are not necessarily part of um, the ritual set, but you know they go online. There's a magical retreat that if one wanted to go on, and I want to put that all in the book eventually. Uh, like I said, it's just a matter of time and compiling notes and data. And it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so because he was passing on soon, we had to hurry this project up. I didn't get to do any of that by the time it was published. Mm. Um, but the rituals are there. You know, the introductory is there and. And the introductory has a few, uh, it needs a couple edits, but the rituals themselves are sound. You know, I made sure if I was going over one thing with a fine tooth comb, it was the rituals, you know. Will suffered uh, dyslexia, <laughs> so he typed these rituals out into a Google Doc, and <laughs> then I had to decipher them. And not only that, I told him, hey, if I'm working these, I'm working them as a Delamite, so what you have here is excellent, but I need to change these after I, I'll do them, and then I'm changing them. Hmm. And he How said, so? okay. Well, I wanted to emphasize the law of Delima somehow. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so straightforward. I liked how we opened up this phone call, like, hey, just be who you are and do what you do. Yeah, totally. And so for me, like, that's a perfect Dolomite statement. <laughs> Sorry to tell you. <laughs> you know? Um, so in that sense... Well, that's very Christian of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. My apologies. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just being okay. silly. <laughs> no, but you, you, you know, I mean, that's, I, of course, it's, it's, it's a totally different example. But uh, that was one thing uh, my stepmom was, was telling me at one point, um, that there was a woman that was, would, would always say that, oh, that's very Christian of you. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's very Christian. And it's like, 
Really? Do you have to, like, call me a Christian every time? Like, it makes me not want to do nice things, <laughs> you know, if you're going to compare me to the yeah. people who did such atrocious things, you know. But, I mean, you know, Thalema hasn't been around long enough or, or gotten big enough or taken over Rome yet. So, <laughs> you know, maybe in a thousand years there'll be, you know, some crap to talk about it. But you can, you can just poke a little fun. I mean, as a traditional Golden Dawn guy, I'm like... Zadi is the star. I don't care what Rose Kelly says. You know, like that's all. You know, but other than that, I'm like, okay, no, the rest of it makes sense. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, I suppose that once the Lima does become a mainstream religion, if it lives that long, yeah, um, it will be the same mess. I mean, if Scientology can be mainstream. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, Scientology is derivative of the Lima, practically. So. Yeah, it, it's mainstream. It's mainstream. It's crazy. And I don't know their principles. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, there was a lot of messed up. I guess OTO isn't just focused <laughs> enough on celebrity, uh, you know, recruiting celebrities and th threatening them. And I mean, Scientology, I guess, was yeah, yeah. sending snakes in mailboxes during all the right decades. But but uh, the OTO like yeah. got rolling again in the 70s kind of in the midst of the people that would lock up people who were suspected of being in cults and stuff like that. Like there was that whole backlash after Manson and stuff. So I guess it makes sense why it's not mainstream yet. But. Well, the thing is what I, my experience with OTO has lit and it's been two and a half years. I've been a formal initiate for since November. I've been a first degree. Mm -hmm. um, so over the past two and a half years at Tahuti Lodge, literally and traveling throughout the Northeast, as um, anybody following me on Facebook would see, you know, I've toured, I've done masses, and a few local bodies around here, and I've gone to some pretty cool stuff. I've met some people nearby, and I have a big network of Dolomites, and um, I see it attract quality, not quantity, and it's people who really appreciate the law, and those who don't, don't tend to stick around. Yeah. So, for that reason, and, you know, Crowley doesn't have the appeal of some millionaire that like used magic and life was sweet like no Crowley was <laughs> a hermit at the end of his life you know he was very meek he could read about it in the confessions he was under the belief that um you know he needed to lose everything and that's kind of what happened so whether he needed to or not but that was the image that you get when you read about the Lima is that mm. here's this broke drug addict <laughs> and um you know, he broke himself, he broke his physical everything in order to attain, you know, and that's what I saw. Doesn't mean that that's going to be everybody's path. Yeah. Um, yeah I know people have great jobs, lawyers. And yeah, it's not, it's, it's not good for sales. Like, uh, yeah, I was talking to, uh, to my friend uh, earlier today, actually, about how, like, when I, my approach toward wanting to do a particular kind of workshop with chakras and tree of life and stuff like that isn't going to be, like this will give you the solution you need for prosperity and your love life because I just, I don't operate that way. And like, even though people are like, oh, well, you've got to show how this is going to be practical for them for prosperity and their love life. I'm like, yeah, but no, you know, and like, so I'll basically be helping them to see outside of maybe the, the paradigm they're in and then they'll never come back. And that's more my style. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So yeah, I can kind of relate with that. Where where Buddhism is like, do you suffer? Yes. Do you want to stop? Yes. <laughs> you know, like it's very universal in its appeal. You know? <laughs> I agree with that. That's so excellent. 
the Jesus thing's a little bit of a harder sell because you're like, you know, you got to make people feel guilty for something that they didn't do and then blame some other race. It's it's really weird, like when you really get into the nuts and bolts of it. But yeah, the is pretty straightforward. <laughs> well, I mean, Crawley was a writer and he had no problem putting his life experiences out there. Yeah. You know? And that's one thing that you don't get with a lot of quote-unquote prophets, quote-unquote um, right. occult writers. You know, you don't get their personal life story. You know, I, I want to not just know the good stuff and the successes. Like, no, I want to know where you messed up really bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I see all of it. I want to see how that developed and gave you a human experience. Because if I make a mistake and you never have a mistake written in your whole entire story, right. well, now I can't relate to you. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? So I think it's that human aspect um, that needs to be emphasized more than anything with Crowley. And I see that with a lot of Dolomites, is that it's a very down-to-earth, human-based religion um, that doesn't really believe <laughs> in existence, I guess. <laughs> I mean, existence is pure joy in the Book of the Law, and then it goes on um, when you really get into it. And it's the same thing, I, I suppose, with any Kabbalistic school of thought, is that you know the ultimate reality is nothing. Right, the ain softball and the ain softball. So you're, we're all trying to break past this illusion one way or another. Um, you know, it's Dolomites. Dolomites, I could describe Dolomites in this one way. We create ceremonial magic to worship and adore gods that we don't believe in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, anyway. maybe I am a Thalamite. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but the funny part is that it works. Right. You know, and, um, it's a process of, and we can get into the whole debate of subjective, objective reality. Well, yeah, I mean, because if, well, if the, yeah, there's several, because if, on one hand, if they were there, then I wouldn't have to invoke them. <laughs> but on the other hand, the invocation might just be my way of opening the little, with a little key in my own brain to be able to perceive that they are there. So... And, and then, of course, we get into Kabbalah and, you know, we find that the gods are attributed to different parts of the body and, and such, you know. And so maybe I'm just mm. unlocking different spiritual centers in my own body, similar to the chakra system. Or getting in touch with different strains of, like, bacteria in the body or something like that. Could, <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I mean, I was invoking Ganesh the other day. Mm -hmm. I was invoking Ganesh the other day um, through his mantra and, just by the way the name sounds, you know, it might say it might be some type of bacteria. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting how they talk about the the angels. Their names are their identity. Where, like, as humans, we're very complex. We have our heredity. We have our environment. We have our zodiacal imprint. We have all this other stuff. We have our past lives. We have everything else. But uh, we have our guides. But if you're an angel, your name is your job, is your identity. Mm. At least that's well, so what's funny is. I'm sort of stepping up to a boundary, but I'm not crossing it. Mm -hmm. um, my instructor in the AA a while back, you get into occult orders, and you, if you get into more than one occult order, you end up with several magical names. Mm -hmm. And so trying to keep up with who the hell you're talking to at what time, <laughs> which discussion, the instructor just, after I messed up the name and everything, you know, enough times, and they finally just corrected me again and again, they were finally like, isn't being in an occult order fun in regards to how many names you get and trying to figure out which identity you're speaking to? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so how's that for humans? Uh, 
Then you have you your secret yeah. name within the order, and then the the name you're known by by the outer in the order, and then you have your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mess, and then you change your name in the order, you know, and <laughs> that other name doesn't not exist anymore. It's just you don't use it uh, unless you're talking to somebody. And you don't respond when somebody <laughs> calls you by that name. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. talk about singularity. So I wanted to mention, if you don't mind my bringing it up, you um, you had a, a, a picture at the UN headquarters and you were working at the mayor's office in New York City. That'll make people nice and paranoid to <laughs> find out there's someone involved in all this esoteric stuff working for the mayor in New York City. <laughs> surprisingly, surprisingly, I met a couple of Freemasons in mm-hmm. City Hall. Um I, I was probably the only out and about cultist because I pry and I'm very upfront and I wear my jewelry and um, that's good to hear. I'm seal. glad that's happening. Yeah I, have a, yeah, I have a seal. I mean, Mayor De Blasio is all about religious freedom, so why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it have been okay? And I still nice. kind of felt skeptical my first couple of times going there. I was wearing a rosy cross around my neck, the the, the Mathers the perfect version, symbol. which you might have <laughs> Yeah, yeah, perfect symbol exactly. Nice. Um. And and so with that being said, you know I never caught any slack for it. Uh, I was an intern though. Let me let me calm the people down. I was just <laughs> an, um, how that happened was that school that I was so paranoid about getting into. Uh, it was a, one of the worst schools in the city, LaGuardia, but they were the only one that was doing direct admissions, and I just wanted to start already. So I think that was my first choice, just based on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up getting straight A's in LaGuardia. I'm hoping transfer out in um either fall maybe spring you might get pushed back to which is fine but um through their newsletter they sent out every so often i would look at it and there would never be anything useful in there because it's a crummy school on the most part mm-hmm. one morning i wake up and uh, i figure okay it's 5 a.m now i could stay up until six i could do my solar adorations maybe a little bit of yoga and then i could start the day and i'll just push myself a little bit harder to that mm-hmm. and that's fine and so let me go check my emails, and I check in. There was a, the newsletter, and one of the articles in the newsletter was about City Hall internship. And uh, I figured, why not? Let me let me apply, and um, what's the worst that could happen? You know, and I, I got the internship. I completed the internship. I did four months in the correspondence department. And being an intern at City Hall, you get to go to all these amazing events. I've been to Great Gracie Mansion several times, and I've helped on staff. Uh, I've been to the UN for several conferences. Um, more involvement than that I've never done. I would think if ever I got into politics, it would mostly be to focus on gender mm. unless, you know, I take law in school. That would be the only way. But right now I don't have that background. So um, so for now, I'm enjoying the summer. How about that? You know, work is done for now. I have my assets set aside. My rent is paid. My food is on the table. And I'm comfortable through the summer until I start school again. I know there's like a handful of people that equate do what thou wilt with libertarianism. How how would you respond to that? I like libertarianism by definition, not as a political party, because the people don't live up to that standard. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, government should not necessarily have so much control. It should be there as an aid and to make sure that, you know, people are safe to an extent. But like, when is too safe? You know, I'm, I was listening to somebody's post or reading somebody's post on 
a social media group not that long ago, and this wasn't necessarily libertarian, but it's just government, and, you know, they were banning religions in Ireland, I believe, if your religion attacks another religion. Hmm. So is the Lima, is the Lima illegal over there? I would think so, because the book of the law, there's some stuff in there that yeah. if you just read it at first glance, it attacks several religions, and, um, that's what the book is. So it's like, is the Lima illegal over mm. there? And why are you, why are you people, is that an attack against Islam strictly? Or is that the government being way too overprotective with its people and trying to protect feelings? And so at what level is the government playing too much of a, a mommy-daddy role? Yeah, and it's kind of hypocritical considering there's, you know, unkind things said about Jews in the New Testament. Um, mm. You know, I mean, so where do you, I mean, if that's the standard by which you're going to judge a religion, that whether or not it talks crap about another religion, uh, <laughs> well, then Zen is out. He really wasn't into <laughs> Pure Land Buddhism, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so I don't know. But to stick to the original question, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, 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 that's fine. Libertarianism and do without wealth, Tom. Um, yes and no, because libertarianism is you should be able to do anything that you Anything that you need to do for yourself, if you're capable of doing it, mm -hmm. and the government should not tell you no. That would be, if I could smoke pot, and I'm physically capable of smoking pot, the government should not arrest me for smoking pot. I'm not a pot smoker, P.S., but that was just mm -hmm. a, that's something that's going on right now, I think is prevalent. Right. Do without will. I'm not a pot smoker. I know many pot smokers. By all means, enjoy it. If that's, if you're using it for some end, and you're having some type of experience through it, by all means, go ahead. It's, Enjoy it. It seems that um, for whatever reason, it ends up that it that libertarian looks like it's more on the right end of the political spectrum, but the right end of the political spectrum would not be in agreement with the gender politics. I mean, you know what I mean with the gender um, progressiveness, but maybe and libertarians so would be... It's it's so bizarre how many different. It's such a mess. It's yeah. such a mess. And I, I fell into the Democratic Party strictly because of my gender identity, right. strictly because of sexuality purposes and the whole nine. Because um, that's where that's well, happening. Where that. Where that's where that's that happening. The Republicans, conservatives. I've just I've seen individuals who identify as Republican or conservative step up and you know say something or have my side on the matter, but. In a political party where things are actually taking place and legislature is getting signed and yeah. we're deciding if this person has to exist or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm not seeing the red side. Take, um, and if, if somebody told you you had to be a libertarian because do what thou wilt, then you'd, you'd have to kill them because of... Wait, I, I, I don't, I'm a little rusty on my book of the law. <laughs> okay. Well, there, there's another, there's another text. I'm giving a lecture, hopefully soon at the Woody Lodge, and you know, assuming I don't get myself in too much trouble with this podcast, which has been good so <laughs> But um, Libra Oz is a very central text, Libra seventy-seven, and that's I, I'm calling it, and my again, my opinion is not. OTO's opinion, my opinion is not. Crowley's opinion, my opinion is my opinion. Mm -hmm. I won't give you an opinion on the book of the law, but Libra Oz is fine. Libra Oz is, um, in my own words, human bill of rights. You know, and it goes through several, five different categories of what man is allowed to do. You know, I'm allowed to dress as I will. I'm allowed to love who I will. All of these different categories. Um, so in regards to 
Oh, and then the last one is man has the right to kill those who would warrant these rights. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's like a big statement, you know. Um, and I literally tell anybody coming into the Lima, at the end of each of these clauses really is the brackets that say, and it's like a fine print that goes unsaid, and take responsibility for your actions. You know? Yeah. Um, me being trans, I happen to live in New York. I was born and raised in New York. So I'm in a safe bubble where... And I had a successful transition. I walked down the street. Nobody really knows I'm trans. And maybe by voice or something. But even still, nobody bothers me about it. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was in rural Arkansas transitioning, it would be a whole other story. I would probably have a lot of problems, way more than I have now, yeah. just in regards to gender. And um, so if you're going to dress as you will, take responsibility for the action. Know where you are and, you know, don't expect. Uh, somebody else, um, I think it was Sebastian in his public statement on Libras, you know, or it might even been Crowley himself, I'm not 100%, but, you know, you have the right to drink poison, but if you drink poison, just because you're practicing Libra Oz doesn't mean the poison's not going to kill you, hmm. you know? So you could do it, take responsibility for the action. That's interesting. The, uh, when, when Crowley went through his 5 equals 6 initiation, he would have been told, among other things, that he is to wear no distinctive dress, but to dress in the custom of the country that he is in, or that that was one of the five tenets of the original Rosicrucian Brotherhood. So when he would put on his his elaborate headdress and his robes and his ceremonial things and walk around in London, that was kind of you know part of his rebellion, you know, against the Golden Dawn. <laughs> I mean, I've always wondered what it would be like to go outside in my in my robes. I just don't have the heart. Oh to do yeah! That. Oh, it's great. No, I uh, I so that's why I like hanging around Thalamites because then, according to my Rosicrucianness, I have to look like uh, an occult guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like to blend in. <laughs> so I can wear my what would Thoth do shirt and uh, you know all my my rings and things. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just wear all black and you're fine. Most of I, I I fell into that category eventually. I generally wear all black nowadays, but I try to put some color in there just because I do like. Color. I like the pink uh, star of Babylon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite one so far. It goes well with the rose cross, energetically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very interesting. You don't yeah, usually see that, those two symbols together like that. No, you don't. Um, God, I mean, I feel like I deserve them. Oh, yeah. Them. No, I think that you're representing well, you know, the magician. And I think that it's right on point to, to bring those together because, it, it, you know, it's as, to me, it'd be like, you know, um, bringing together something from, you know, the Vatican and something from Salt Lake City. You know what I mean? Like, like they're, they're or um, I mean, that's kind of a weird comparison, but like, it's the same current to say they're different is kind of like unnecessarily bring invoking Thaumiel, invoking the, uh, the contending forces where they don't need to be like, as if Crowley and Mathers were still having their debate, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, so, I mean, Crowley and I have a picture on my wall here on the back of the Daltaro is the rosy cross. It's just a different yeah. version of the color. Mm. Uh, he got rid of the hexagrams and pentagrams. And so it's a green bottom instead of the four cross one. Is that a veil? Um, what? Was he, like, intentionally obscuring it to not reveal yes, it, or? it? No, well, as to my understanding, it's because it's a new Aeon. Oh, and right. so because of that, he changed the formula of Earth through his study of the Book of the Law somewhere and through his meditative practices that, um, 
and because uh, Horus, Horus' skin is green, and so that's why the Earth is now green. It's um, in a state of putrefaction, even that uh, mm. the old is dying and things are always changing, and so life is constant death. There is no there is no fear of death anymore because every act of change kills whatever was just there. This conversation yeah. that we're having, the one that I, the person who picked up the phone and started talking to you is not the same person right now, nor will that be the same person getting off the phone shortly. So this whole conversation killed who I was because I could never go back there. My mm. particles have changed. My brain right. has changed. You know, um, so that's how I guess I look at life as well now is that everything's constant change. Everything's always dying and is always reborn. There is no waiting for death and then re be reborn. And No, everything's always dying. Therefore, there's no fear of death. It's just another change. Change is constantly happening. Don't fear change, I guess, is the major major thing I want to emphasize. Yeah. The more we hold on to things as they are, or even worse, as they were, then the more, you know, it's very Buddhist, the more we create our own suffering. And we pull ourselves away from the experience of present time, which is just as much of a newborn baby of the light as it ever was. So any joy that we ever felt about it is here now, whether we're experiencing it or not. So it's just kind of, yeah, it's the art, part of that magical art, I guess the microcosmic part is learning to attune ourselves to be able to be aware of all these different frequencies, kind of like the vault, you know, the, the, like all the different, different crystalline sort of lights coming in at the same time that we can have access mm -hmm. to in very mm -hmm. quantities. And no, I agree with that. I agree with your statement there. And, and um, yours. Detachment. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's all, it's all detachment, you know, yeah. all detachment moving forward. Yeah. Wow, this is a heavy conversation. Right? <laughs> yeah, it gets heavy on the esoteric nerd sometimes. <laughs> well, what else should we talk about? Are there any other influences or teachers that you want to mention? Um, well, there, there's one I can't. There's one that's got to go nameless. Okay. Um, I will continue going on with William, though. For mm -hmm. a, uh, we have we have time, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. Um so with William, you know, one of the most magical things, um, and this ties right into the last thing we were talking about, this concept of death, right? And uh, Crowley writes very little about death, but what he does write about it is very concise and, you know, not to fear it, that it's necessary. And as Dolomites, there is uh, a rejoice to death, not that all Dolomites, I actually haven't met any Dolomites that live up to that. Um, they tend to get sad by death, which is fine. Um, they miss the person. And I take the Alan Watts stance, if you've heard his um, oh, yeah. concerning death lecture, where it's like, listen, we're all egos, and the only reason I'm sad about this person dying is because I want them there. I can't let them go. Yeah. I am trying to control something that's out of my control, and that's what hurts me. Yeah. Right? And that the person who was my friend that I just lost and upset about, in a previous lifetime when we were different egos, might have been my greatest enemy, and I have no clue because I can't even remember, so why am I going to be sad about it? It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. I tend to take that approach towards it. And also Crowley emphasized rejoicing and having a celebration. It's when you're born, it's called a lesser feast. When you die, it's called a greater feast. Mm. And um, so every saint, it's, uh, every Gnostic saint, when they've died, we, we celebrate their greater feast, the day that they died, even more than the day that they were born, uh, for the point that, They've changed. They they fulfill their function in this um, as this ego. They did what they needed to do here, and they moved on. And so it breaks the um, the sadness that's been attributed to death and that mourning. And 
Have you ever walked into a Christian funeral home? And just some people want to crack stupid jokes. Some people want to yeah. laugh. Some people really are but it's really like, sad. No, no laughing it's in like, church. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's yeah. It's an emotional clusterfuck. Yeah. And, um, you know, it puts everybody there in a weird place because nobody knows how to react. So if we all went into that situation, talking about the person, but still happy that hey, we get to live another day, and like, I believe in rebirth anyway and reincarnation. So they're somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so wondering it, it when, when and where they're going to come back. Yeah, It breaks the whole fear of death. It breaks the whole sadness attributed to it. And um, so that's why in the Lima, death is so magical. It, it's one of the biggest mysteries that there are. We can't really say for sure what happens afterwards. You know, you have to cross that boundary eventually. And when you do, hopefully you find out. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing. Well, if the Tree of Life is an accurate map, Typhirid comes after death. So mm -hmm. that's nice. <laughs> I had a, a, a mentor, well, a friend, mentor, longtime friend. Technically, he was my student once upon a time, um, who was an older guy, Gordon. Um, and I actually lived with him for a year after my house caught on fire in 1998. The temple caught on fire. There were a bunch of people living here. Anyway, but I, he, he was a really, you know, great influence and mentor and taught me a lot about, you know, William Burroughs and Scientology and zen and and uh and we would talk about golden dawn stuff too and philema and jack parsons and you know kind of stringing it all together and he passed away a couple years ago so yeah i kind of can relate with that like i mean part of me wants to be sad but i know that if he were there he'd like kind of like shout at me not to you know what i mean that i'm like uh, let let go of meat bodies you really want want me to drag my meat refrigerator around another year for you <laughs> it's like and just yeah. be in agony so you can what come over and watch a tv show with me every now and then and i'm like yeah, yeah okay okay so it's like if it had been anyone else who had died I, I i might feel more inclined to feel sad but since it was him it's it's like okay okay well i'll see you next time you know see see when when i'm an old man and you're a young man you know <laughs> yeah. So that's so that's the thing, right? And um, this whole concept of death. William Wheeler, in the eighteen months or fifteen months, actually, that we worked together with that stage four cancer, he passed away on my birthday, August thirtieth. You wow. know, and uh, I had his obituary saved. I have it tucked aside. It was on in the Washington Post, the Washingtonian. And um, I'm in contact with his sister. I'm in contact with several several of his other students. Um, and so the fact that like he chose this day to go was like one it was super magical for like what we study it gave like yeah. some type of proof you know but like he picked it yeah 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 it was he had a way with time and the universe had a way of giving time with him um even more radical i mean with the ritual set that he gave me you know it's like i'm left with this now you know and so that's why i've taken it up recently yeah and um it's interesting. The first ritual is ritual zero. It starts at the number zero and it goes up to ritual five, which ends in Tifereth, right? It starts at the bottom of the tree. It goes up similar to Golden Dawn, mm -hmm. similar to AA. Um, the first ritual itself is a, um, it's a circle casting and you're using the elemental pentagrams, right? And for each of the elements, you're using one of the substances. So, for example, um, I have an Amadeus pyramid over here on my bookshelf. Mm, so I, I believe I that was the earth. <laughs> They're great. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, be- I believe that was the earth substance that I used to draw the earth pentagrams. And at each point, you instead of using your wand or other, you're holding that. So you put that in the center of the pentagram. And for the earth one, you intone um, the parts of the soul, so nefesh. Then you get some type of airy substance, whether it was a feather or incense or whatever reminds you of air, that air-like quality. And you draw the air pentagrams, and then you intone ruach in all four of them. Then you go to water, and then you go to fire. And so for those, it would be um, Neshima and Chaya. And then after that was um, you're wearing a, a, a towel robe or whatever, and so you divest your robe, and so you're standing there. And it's called the spirit offering ritual because now you put your hand in the sign of the ficus, you're standing in your temple alone, and you know, you're sky clad, and you draw the spirit pentagrams, and you intone the final one, Yachedaya. Uh, and um, so, and I was the one that kind of figured out what to intone. He didn't know what to put in there. He had the concept of the ritual. And I said, well, why not activate the parts of the soul? They correspond perfectly both to the paths and to um, the tetragrammaton on the tree up. Hmm. And so that, that's just how the ritual set starts off. That's not even getting into Malkuth and everything, you know, and then there's circle castings and most of the rituals two, three, four, and five, they run about an hour to an hour and 45 minutes. So these are rituals people perform on their own? Yes. And originally he wanted them to be where you do it with an instructor. Mm -hmm. But I said, listen, if I am publishing this work and putting it out there, then that means if it ever took flight or somebody wanted to do it, they'd have to contact me or somebody who's done it before. Hmm. So that was one of the parts I also had to revise on the system was go through the ritual with him, figure out how could this become a solitary ritual where you don't need somebody overseeing what you're doing. And I had a, I spent a lot of hours revising and tweaking little things and putting in an extra invocation here. So you had a spirit guide, whether it's Tehuti or some other um, deity. But I had, I had to figure out exactly how to do all these little things that I saw missing, which was a great project. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah. Uh, it was time consuming. It was time consuming, and I didn't know if it would ever go anywhere. And um, here I am, you know, May, he passed in August, so, you know, give or take nine months, right? Hmm. Um, three students, so we'll see what happens. Nice. And the interesting part, too, is that it is out there, and I know people are doing them. I just don't know who they, these people are. I know that people have bought books. I've heard from several people who have tried some of the rituals. And um, so it really is like a mystery school. Yeah, that's very special. Right? Hmm. Um, yeah. And he, it, again, it's an angelic order. You know, it's an angelic system. So each one emphasizes whether it's different angels or, you know, some type of communion with the angels. And that's something that's really been missing, I believe, from most yeah. modern cultism. Um, there's very little written except for Enochian. And Enochian, you could debate on even if they're the same entities as the angels right they almost yeah. seem like they have a different personality altogether. yeah the group i was with at a certain point started to re- resort to looking to catholicism and uh kind of the you know the writings of the saints and things like that and and the orders of the angels and that in that uh world mm-hmm. that egregore that group think <laughs> but um I like uh, what we do have. I mean, from the old days, I know, you know, in, in, you know, Crowley has what he did and Parsons and, and everyone in that 
world. Um, but I like uh, his his former wife, Elaine Simpson, and Florence Farr going into the vault, and they went in and met Isis. They had some great descriptions there. Not exactly angelic, though. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's interesting the different spins people take. I, I got really frustrated one time when I invoked Mikhail for a group of people, and one of the people who had a Christian upbringing, I guess, um, ended up feeling really guilty and sad afterward. And and um, so I asked what was wrong, and she was saying, well, you know, I, I felt like I was standing there before Mikhail, but who am I? I haven't done anything special, you know. And, it, and I was like, what? did you miss everything? You're You're... You are the embodiment of the divine creator in physical flesh right now. When you say Ata Malkut Vigabura Vigadula, you say thou art, but you are drawing the line from your crown to your third eye. Who are you talking to? Like, like the angels show up because of that authority that you have over the angels, you know? So, I mean, to, to, to buy into this idea of, oh, Mikhail's going to be mad at me because I masturbated is just sort of really lame, you know? Well, I'd, well, I'd be going to hell then. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I couldn't resist. Couldn't no, it's resist. true. But they become like these Jungian archetypes that aren't necessarily for good. You know, I mean, it's it's unfortunate when, when, when angels are turned into demons you know and, and not in a good way you know like i don't know well, well, so, so it's good i, I mean i like what you're doing I've, to free them I've seen and... in neo, yeah i know i've seen in neo-pagan circles you know concepts of angels and they're very light and yeah. lovely and yeah like no michael was a warrior yeah. like, my, yeah. michael was a but he doesn't ass. care if you masturbate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why would he right yeah why would he? yeah you know Everything's sex. Look at the sun and moon and the earth. It's all sex one way or another. But it's just the way that kids are trained. I don't know if they still do this, but, you know, I mean, my buddy who grew up Catholic and then, and then Alan Watts, in, even in the Anglican church, you know, as soon as kids are of a certain age, they take them in and they say, okay, now you know what, you know, the temptations of the flesh is. Whatever you do, don't touch your pee-pee. And if you do, be sure to tell the priest about it. You know, it's like, really? You're going to do that to every kid? <laughs> you know, like, that's so, that's so I mean, wrong. I, remember, I, I went to Roman Catholic school as a kid. I remember being in eighth grade and it was kind of mandatory. If you didn't take the confession, like you got blackballed by the teacher, like they gave you that, that evil eye, like really, like you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to make yourself feel Get a little right bit like somebody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. I'll mm -hmm. go in there and, you know, I'll Slash government, <laughs> medieval <laughs> government structure thing. <laughs> and I remember the priest distinctly asking me, you know, do you masturbate? Because like, I left that one out and like, I freaked out because I was not expecting a priest in a closed confessional to ask me that and uh, in eighth grade. It's like, dude, that's none of your fucking business. Oh, and like, I was like, okay, I have to go. I'm sorry. And like, I left the confessional booth, wow. you know, yeah. I told the teacher, okay, like, hey, that made me really uncomfortable. That is none of his business. <laughs> and like, but that's the relation, like they need to know for some reason. Yeah, I guess they, the Sunday school my friend went, went, went to, they prepared them and they took, gave him a list of things to confess, but they didn't tell them what they were. So he was confessing masturbating, but he didn't know what it meant. It's <laughs> <laughs> really silly. So yeah, so 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 uh, the Thalamic um, point of view on the angelic system. So these angels are they are they um, familiar? You know, Hebrew angels from like from the system that you and I know from Thalema and Golden Dawn, or are these is this a different system? 
No, I would say it's the same uh, Judeo-Christian angels. Okay. You know, you saw the four main archangels. Mm-hmm. Um, then the Adonai is also in the system. He, he comes in into Ritual 4 and uh, slightly in Ritual 5, but not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a big part, I would say you're focusing on the four archangels, and then there's a couple more that get thrown into the mix um, after Ritual 2. And there is a bunch of... Um, Working with deities, uh, I have a major infatuation with Tahuti and Toth. Mm, yeah. So, um, so he got thrown into the mix, you know, whether he wanted it or not. I believe he did. <laughs> kind of came knocking, like, "Hey, do you guys need help? I could, I, you could put me in the cell. Like, it's all right." I tend right, to think cool. of him corresponding well with the Holy Spirit. Well, I mean, it depends on where you place him on the tree. Yeah, I, I could see that because he is. He's he's the logos. Um, is the, the word Mercury? Yeah, the philosophic Mercury. So he finds himself in Hachma, and he's permeated throughout the tree. You could find him in Yesod. You could find him in Hod, depending. Um, Breathest out his breath, and endless spaces peopled, and drawest in his breath, and all that cometh from thee returneth unto thee. Uh, wait, I'm, I'm, it's wrong speech. Wrong speech. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting into a practicus thing. I think. <clears throat> I don't remember. I'm a little rusty by now. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Sounds like good stuff. So I will um, include a link to that book. Cool. So, yeah, what are your, what are your, do you have a, uh, like an aim that you want to share? Like, because I'm getting kind of a general feel for magic, for building up this new so, magical I think current. The last thing- I think one of the last things that I want to talk about yeah, yeah. is magical mottos. I want to talk about the magical mottos, and I have to be cautious here because I don't want to say too much mm-hmm. and get myself in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say everything that I can, you know. Absolutely. And what my intentions are. I think my intentions are pure, even though they were a little radical and far-fetched. Um, okay, so I'll start with um, Soro Abe Eterno. That was the first magical model that I took. Mm-hmm. That was back in 2015, and how that whole thing came about was that I had done Ritual 2, and I went into this ritual set with William, not knowing that it was going to be an initiatory order down the line, and that these rituals were going to get published. I was just doing magic as he threw magic at me to do, you know, and he had his way of making sure I was doing my foundational stuff, and as long as I was doing that and my studies were on point, he had no problem throwing new rituals at me, and Every so often, he'd throw one of these angelic rituals at me, and um, that was how I did the first three of them. Mm-hmm. And so I went into this one now knowing that there's probably an order forming, and we had talked generally about it, but not too much. And so I, I wanted a magical motto if this thing was going to be real. And I toyed around with two or three concepts, and Soror Abe Turno was one of them at the time. And I was not yet identifying as female, even though I, I did internally, but outwardly I was not letting people know. I did not sort hormones yet. Mm-hmm. I was just coming up to my first doctor's appointment at the clinic, at the trans clinic. Um, and so I went into this ritual said, not thinking I'm going to get a magical motto, but um, after the archangels were brought forth and you do some stuff with them and you know, I have some good meditative techniques also that I'd be willing to share. Um, one's the circulation of light, and everybody that's tried it says that it's similar to um, the middle pillar. It's a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. only about 10 minutes, 8 minutes, and you get a good cleansing of the outside and inside. And I describe it almost as like taking a Brillo pad to the inside of your 
body of light. And then you scrub it down, you get all the darkness out, and you bring in earth and solar energy, light. Um, and so you kind of do that with the archangels. And um, I'll, I'll send you a, a PDF if you're interested oh, in you. just in that meditation technique. Yeah. Um, and so Raphael, verbal communication, I'm seeing him in my mind, in my mind's eye, of course. It's not, um, think of like the Goetia. I don't know if anybody's ever evoked anything. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes you might get some little glimpses of some stuff. Generally, it's in your mind's eye that you're seeing whatever's going on and you're kind of lost to reality. So, you know, I, I look around the temple space that I'm sitting in right now talking to you. This was not the same space that I was in doing these rituals. Mm-hmm. It was a much different environment. And really, n- n- everything in here is just about in the same place. Only I don't recognize this room as the room I was in. You know, so so I was in a third eye type of uh Say when Raphael, so he, we're speaking for the first time, and um, he said, so Soro Abe Turner, is it? And it was like a question, and I, I was kind of humbled. I was like, oh, I, I suppose it is. He said, yeah, for now. And so that was how I came up with my first magical motto. It was kind of given to me out of several that I chose. You know, I put in a little bit of thought, and then I, I came down the task of figuring out, well, what does this magical motto really mean to me? You know, um, and this leads me back to I'm probably a Virgo because I have an obsession with being timely, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think like you and me, we had a good thing when we got on the phone. It's like, okay, 5 p.m., let me text you. Okay, five minutes, sure, exactly. <laughs> five minutes, we're all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's like a, that's a Virgo trait. So, and I'm very like that. Um, Sora of Eternal, right? So sister of the eternal. And that's got some, some secret meaning I can't get into. Um in OTL, I just don't, I probably could, I, I don't want to push a boundary though, mm-hmm. on initiatory structure, sure. um, but so, I also looked at the name from, I try to figure out the Latin gamatri on that, and there's just too many letters, the best I could come up with is 269 and 274, neither one of them really meant that much, but AB is father, right, if you in Hebrew, and eternity, that kind of is like time, so sister to father time was a concept in there. So again, that comes back to that androgyny, mm-hmm. but also like a very, um, they see magical models rule you, right? So you take a model and that becomes something that you have to conform to, you have to identify with. Interesting. Whether you want to or not, um, it's a magical force in, in and of itself. Once you say, okay, this is my magical name in this magical ceremonial context, I'm stating that this is the name that I'm taking. Yeah. You know, and so. Since then, I've had a, even more influence on timeliness, you know, that I really had to cope with, that I had to get past. Um, doing asana, thinking about that concept, gave me hell. I couldn't get more than five minutes in a position, you know, for the longest because it would just drive me crazy focusing yeah. on the clock instead of the practice. Yeah, so that I was definitely relate I really... with that. <laughs> it helps to go to class okay. and focus on the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Or, or five I, breaths. You any, know. any distraction, any distraction to the mind, which is not a bad thing. You distract the mind just enough to get past it. Yeah. I think that that's one of the keys. But you don't want to give it too much because it'll it'll keep demanding. Yeah, I know. Gosh, it's so true. 
Yeah, it's all, all these little tricks. Like I use, you know, oh, well, if I know if I do this, then I'll be motivated to do that. And I want to do that because that's a good thing to do. And if I'm motivated to do it, I'll do a better job. And I'm like playing with these tantric forces kind of willy-nilly, you know, just to like to, to trick myself, to carrot and stick myself into doing what I should have done anyway, rather than meditating <laughs> and then coming around to the conclusion that I should serenely do the thing that I ended up caffeinating myself and doing in a frenzy you know it's, and, and i know better you know it's not even that i don't know better it's just it's amazing no, nothing to no, complain I'm about it's so amazing but it, it's fun it's yeah, fun and you, it, it sucks be. going through but you look back and you get a good laugh yeah it's it. true <laughs> so frustrating oh man so that so that's one magical name and that actually transferred into the aa Mm-hmm. Current probationer of the A, and um, so I took the same name, and so that's its own thing. And I'm doing my probation work and journals and all that stuff. Is I put a lot of time into it, but yeah. you don't have to probably do as much as I, I did. Kind of overkilled, but um, yeah, it's funny how um, I there's I I I was kind of like. I was always around the temple for years, so I ended up like absorbing a lot of information, but I actually wasn't one of the really studious students who who like sat down and really like put their nose into the books constantly, but I would do like <clears throat> games, you know, memorization games, we were, yeah, we, but we'd turn it into a game, you know, and we'd just drill correspondences and stuff like that, so... I ended up learning the correspondences, but when it came to then, you know, I'd, I'd teach a class and people would come up afterward and say, that was a great class. You really brought some some insight into that. Have you read this? No. Have you read that? No. Have you read, have you, what have you read? I'm like, uh, my grade material. Like, <laughs> you mean just like how to do an LBRP and the Hebrew and yeah, <laughs> you know, just pretty much that. And I've, I've had conversations with people, you know, so I, yeah, I mean, I don't have credentials other than just the years of doing that but I mean now I sort of do because I, it's one of those things where I look around and like no one can keep up with what I'm saying so I guess I'm the teacher <laughs> you know <laughs> and it sounds like you've kind of found yourself in a similar you know like well I guess I'll teach this stuff because no one around me is like keeping up it's like hard to to put together a study group when nobody even can comprehend what it is you want to study you know so yes yep no I agree with that I definitely agree <laughs> with that I, I see where that well I mean, I've been a reader for five or six years now. It's upwards of thousands of books we're talking. Mm. Killer. You know, I'd read to the point that I had headaches every day. It was yeah. probably no good for me, but I learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the so, same so time, anyway. going through some real world, you know, experiences with, you know, everything in life that you've been through since you were a teenager and all this other stuff. So it's like some people just, just do the books, but they kind of avoid the life experience experiences. So, but you got a kind of a nice blend. Sounds Thanks. Like. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in, I grew up in NYC, so I was kind of get street smart or not. Like, yeah, it was available to get street smart. And I kind of took that course as well. It was like extracurricular in high school. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it pays off to have the life experience. So, um, for sure. Definitely does. So you're in New York right now? Yeah. How's yeah, the weather yeah, over there? It is pretty hot at the moment. Oh, interesting. And I'm in my temple, and I don't have the AC on in here, and the AC is in the other room. But I have people over, oh. so I have the door closed. I see. My room. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, my and temple's I'm, in the next room, but it's nice and cool here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm cooking, but it's, it's comfortable. 
It's all good. Um, so Sora Eve, right? Sora Eve. Mm-hmm. That, that was the name I took in OTO um, when I hit first degree. Um, I can't say that that was any more than coincidence, right? I will say that the Golden Dawn document, the fall and the, mm-hmm. the Garden of Eden and the fall of Eden, yeah. those two documents really, 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 the first time I read them back in 2013, I believe, probably 2013, like, I, I don't know what it was about them, but they really drilled into my consciousness. Maybe it was the Roman Catholic upbringing or yeah. whatever. I don't know, but I know that the whole Garden of Eden concept really attracted me. And with all the other material that there is to study, I kind of just laid it to the wayside. But um, it resurfaced on its own, you know, whether I wanted it to or not, and consciously will it to, you know. But then and the more I started studying those two documents, the more interesting that they got, you know. And so I took Sora Eve in, in OTO, um, full for several reasons. You know, there's a Bina aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Right, all mother. Um, so I, that's great to have um, in my arsenal. Why not? Right. She was the first initiate, and so it gave me all these concepts to toy around with. Like, how can I relate to that? Um, you know, a trans initiate. I'm not the first one, but you know, I'm doing my part for the trans community, and I hope to be doing a bigger part for the trans community and being vocal about my life experience. And this is who I am, and this is the journey that I had to go through to get here. And I'm relatively happy and. You know, depending on where you are, you could probably do this too and encourage people. Change yourself, change the world, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I've got this sorry Eve concept. Like, you know, it, it, I see it growing. And um, But there is something about that document that the second mm. Adam is coming, right? Second mm. Adam. Oh, yeah. And, well, his job's to be crucified and then the abyss is going to get flooded for everybody, right? Whatever mm. the heck that looks like. Yeah, to be crucified on the on the uh, rivers of Da'at, but to do this, he must go to the bottom first, even unto Malkut, and be born of her, or something like that. Yes, yep. It's, it's yep. very interesting. The yep. um, uh, Just to fill in people who are less familiar, um, in the grade of Practicus, which is over in Hode, the orange one down on the left, is... Uh, is where the, the the initiate of the old the old Aeon school uh, would study the diagram of the Garden of Eden before the fall, and in the diagram diagram of the Garden of Eden before the fall, um, Eve was represented as with her feet on Malkut and holding up the pillars in the sign of the Theorchus, uh, so kind of with her arms out to the sides and their palms upward holding up the pillars, and then above her was Adam, who uh, his his heart was in. Uh, Typhirid, and then up above was the higher genius, which was uh, androgynous and uh, had wings outstretched, and everything was flowing and perfect. And then, in the um, after they go through the moon card, among other things, <laughs> um, including the star card, where it's uh, represented as the the Garden of Eden after the fall and the redemption. Well, also, so the judgment the card too, you know. Oh right, the gonna, the judgment card. Um, I'm under the impression that that's Lucifer blowing the herald star. Hmm. Is it not? Interesting. That, I, I know it as, as Mikhail, Osiris, Jupiter, and Zeus um, uh, syncretized, uh, and then the bottom left is like Hades, and I mean it's it's just basically the IAO except O is at the top and 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 A gotcha. is on the left and I is on the lower right, represented in gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. dual form. But can continue. Oh, I oh yeah, yeah. In, so after you go, you go and do. Uh, Netzach, which among other titles is Desire, um, 
Eve has gotten curious about what is down at her feet. <laughs> and so she reaches <laughs> down. And so the pillars are unsupported. And the whole thing falls. Adam falls too. And then the supernals divide up. So that instead of one androgynous being, there's a father who's detached, there's a mother who's weeping and mourning, and then there's, um, <laughs> then there's the yod heh vav -Hey that divide the abyss to separate the supernals that it wouldn't be involved in the fall, and then a, a, a flaming sword is placed there so that in order to get back up to, um, to, to Eden or to back up to the supernals, then you have to walk the path of the flaming sword, which of course leads from Malkut to Yasod to Hod to Netzach to Typhirid and so on. So it's very interesting, sometimes disturbing, depending on like, like I, I've been through ceremonies where the Hierophant, it gets really creepy, when, like when the Hierophant's kind of like very Christian and kind of the wrong sort of way, you know, and it's like they're, they're letting you know because then it's like the big reveal, like we're all a bunch of Christians here and all the pagans are like, no, but I mean, but getting into that symbolism is the only way to like to, to, to explain Genesis to a progressive thinking like feminist in a way that makes any sense at all because it's explained that Adam was male and female before dividing up into male and female and so originally when it talks about the Adam being made in the image of the Elohim that the Elohim are plural and the Adam are plural and they're all male and female and, and, and singular and plural and so yeah, there's a bunch of cool stuff there, but it, but yeah, it's 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 all still bizarre. So, like as cool as it is, it, it's still got it's weirdness very, in it. You know, it's very, and it's one of those Kabbalistic toys that you could screw around with yeah. just enough yeah. to make it do almost anything. <laughs> Pretty much. And those those are the Kabbalistic toys that I I guess that I'm really attracted to. Yeah. Because when you puzzle around with them just long enough, all types of cool stuff pops out. And yeah. just when you got you think you got the newest toy, nope. There's, there's more, more. inside there. <laughs> yeah there's so much more and so that i'm confronted with one of those situations that given the chance i would like to as egotistic as this might sound i'd like to take the name adam in mm. malkuth one day and yeah that's my intention although being crucified doesn't necessarily sound like <laughs> all that appeasing at this point well in the old, you know? old can't we, can we say that my teenage years did that like, yeah 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 you know, or, or the transition, I had to kill the old part of me, you know, and those social constructs. Like, can't we just call that a wrap? So I don't know what the heck that looks like, you know. I think that part of it, like the idea of, quote-unquote, taking on the sins of the world, I went through a period where I became Catholic because it was part of my hazing process in the particular Golden Dawn order I was in. I, I say very lightly and half-jokingly, but anyway, um, I, I felt like by doing that and by identifying myself as Catholic... I was now um, the target of everybody's problem with Catholicism, you know, so so anything about about burning witches, anything about, you know, crusades and inquisitions and, um, you know, like uh, uh, discrimination and all this stuff was now my fault all of a sudden. And so so I think that they, maybe being crucified is kind of a metaphor for when you do your vocation, when you when you get out there and people hear what you have to say and what you represent, then now like any issue they have with, they, with what they think you represent is now your fault all of a sudden. And so, 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 so I mean, it's a good thing in a way. Maybe this is the beginning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, one can only hope, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, because I um, used to think when I was in that kind of Christian, you know, uh, 
in, in mind, mindset, you know, thinking that that Jesus maybe was a was a like a bodhisattva, you know, in the type being or a Buddha that looked at you know Israel and saw that there, you know, what was going on there with the Romans and what was going on there with the different religions and all the different tensions and then all the different prophecies that were coming in and said, okay, I think I can help. And then like went down and then kind of you know became crucified to that situation. And then helped to catalyze a healing process. But in the end, he's still, you know, stuck kind of to that situation. Like nobody will, like if he's walking down the street and he's like, you know, I, I, um, I make a darn good espresso now. I, uh, <laughs> I work at Starbucks down the street. Um, that was 2000 years ago. I was on some weird Messiah kick, but now I'm a normal guy. Like nobody wants to hear about it. They just want to hear about the time he was Jesus. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> too oh, much it's coffee. okay. I'm enjoying this. Oh, I'm definitely enjoying this. <laughs> um, so then the last one, and this is probably the most interesting to me right now to toy around with, is Hillel. Mm. Again, so? I have to be cautious. Well, I have to be cautious with mm -hmm. how I uh, present this information because I'm not going to say everything. I'm not going to reveal too much. But um, April 27th, I did a specific ritual. And... Um, yeah, I got some backlash on that ritual, you know, and that's fun, you know, and came out of that. But what rose out of that ritual was that name Hillel, and, you know, I kind of called one of those intuitive thoughts, hey, go read Revelations of the Bible right now. And I was like, damn, I don't want to, but, like, that was that intuitive voice that if I don't listen to, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> like, it's just, it's one of those situations. Hmm. You hear that, that chirping, and it's kind of like, here's a tap on the shoulder, and the next one's brass knuckles. <laughs> like, all right, I've been there before. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go into my room and read Revelations right now. Like, that's fine. I'm not gonna argue. Mm -hmm. And so, after doing this ritual, I was looking at um, what it, what it could mean, you know. And it's a 22 point ritual. And I'm waiting on a response about what happened so I could further diagnose the situation. I think it's all been positive and good stuff. Um, I think we've been friends on Facebook for about two years or so, mm -hmm. and um, it's. Been recently, I, I don't know if you've seen, but my Facebook account has blown up for whatever reason. Whether it's the pink shirt and pretty girl, or <laughs> you know, I'd like to believe that it was that ritual that attracted all of this energy that made all of this magic happen and attracted people to a sort of light. I don't know. I, I'd like to go with that one. Yeah. yeah, but the pretty girl in a pink shirt doesn't hurt either, I suppose. That's always good for um, advertisement, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as shallow as that might sound but um so i'm reading revelations and the only thing that really stood out to me and there's some great concepts in there there's the beast and there's the lady babylon and there's very bulimic and had a big influence on crowley but um stuff that's not been so emphasized one thing that really stuck out was um the second coming of christ you mm. know and i stopped and I, I thought of the term, that second coming. And who was Christ in the Bible? He was Lucifer. Well, who the hell was Lucifer in the Bible? He wasn't Satan. You know, even at the Vatican, they're still using the name Lucifer in a positive way. It's everybody else in the Christian Catholic school of thought that's somehow got Lucifer and Satan to be the devil. And that's through the tarot, probably. I, I don't know how the heck that happened. That's a big debate in itself. But um, who the heck was Lucifer? Lucifer was the bringer of light. Right? The, the Christ. Well, before he was Lucifer in the Torah, he was Hillel. 
and then it got translated, and then it got translated again, and then it got morphed, and then probably when Shaitan came into the picture, people were like, I don't know, the what what are they called? The ibis? No, the the genies, the the Arabic genies. I'm not sure. I don't yeah. know that one. I, I forget exactly what they're called off the top, but um, their their central figure is Shaitan, and he's like he's like a snarling desert devil. I guess you would say, maybe even a hallucinate, hallucination of the terrible conditions that the desert have to bring. That's that whole southern concept of Egypt. It, the south was considered evil for so long because it was nothing but desert, and you walk that way, you die. And the wind blows from the south, the, the crops die. You know, and so it was this bad evil concept. It was the accuser. So if if you're of mm-hmm. a certain mind, and then the elements are being very harsh to you, it seems very natural to think, oh, it's all those bad things that are catching up with me, you know, I'm That's being, being accused and punished. Yeah. And then you get into Elephus Levi, and he starts throwing out these hands on me. I'm looking at a picture of Baphomet right now on my wall, and um, you eventually come to the concept that, well, if you really think about it, why would God make an accuser, you know, well, let alone one that would be powerful enough to overthrow him? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's still a dimension of himself. Anything that could overthrow God, well, first boredom. of all, <laughs> yeah, that's probably not God that's being overthrown. Number right. one, my the God's demiurge. not that weak. Yeah, yeah, the demiurge. Um, but also that evil that almost overthrew him is still a, a part of him, yeah. still a manifestation of him. So God is the devil. Well, if it were for Judas, Jesus. there'd be no Easter. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> so always got to be something good that comes out. Silver lining. I don't know if it was Judas or Yelster. We could get into that one right. another time. Uh, it might have been the pagan. Um. So anyway, I toured around with this whole concept, and so Hillel, Lucifer, and um, the Second Coming, and that tied in perfect with this Garden of Eden thing. Mm. Um, so if I had an intention, yeah, I would love to flood the abyss. Hmm. Then nobody had to cross it. We just well, let's grow everything, the vegetation. There's a book by I believe his name is George MacDonald. It's a it's a short novel. It's only about two or three hundred pages. And it's called Lilith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, hmm. but uh, yeah, I, I read it. And it wasn't the greatest of all stories. It was interesting. It was similar to something like Narnia, going through a mirror into a alternate world but in that alternate world he meets adam and eve and he meets lilith and he meets um anyway the, the character crosses the abyss sounds like <laughs> what c.s lewis way. was getting at but minus the stuffed animals <laughs> well c.s lewis even writes um an intro to the book too which was pretty interesting hmm. so the guy had some type of impact on him yeah I, i'll send you a link also to that cool. um yeah it was a decent book but so this guy crosses the abyss through his journey in a sort of way. It doesn't say in the book, oh, he crossed the abyss, but it's kind of implied. And then all of a sudden, the desert that's in the story starts to vegetate and a stream comes in. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a world that we're moving towards, whether we like it or not. It's just a matter of who's going to do it and how. What right. does that look like for us? You know? Yeah. Well, what, what's beyond the abyss? You know, everything seems to be super connected up there, right? So what about if people were really that connected? What about if there was something like Kether as a satellite for everybody? And as long as that satellite's in existence, there there could be an interconnected, peaceful, loving, um, spiritual, maybe even psychic development of something of a greater nature. You know, being really able to understand each other from 
a long distance point of view, from a short distance point of view, be able to look at people in the eyes like you never had before. Everything would be interconnected in that sense. Um, theoretically speaking, according to the Kabbalah and how things are so tied up above the abyss. Yeah. So imagine a world where everything really was that united, that there was no division anymore, and people really were that strong, and not only people, nature and animals and everything was really that connected, which is probably how it is. You know, we're on this star, or we're on this planet, circling a star, that star is in this space. This space is connected to this space. It seems to be we're in one place anyway, and everything's doing its function. It's just us <laughs> that, you know, if we get in our own way and we cause some problems and we have feelings and... Um, you know, if we can move past all of that, but I think it's more than that. I think that we have blocks. We have a lot of growth that still needs to happen. But um, to flood the abyss, I would think that that's what that would look like. Hmm. There would be no more division amongst us. In the all uh, those in the old Aeon star card, back when it was Saudi, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the woman is a syncretization of um, Isis, Nephthys, and Hathor. But she's also Ema Elohim, the Divine Mother, at the same time. So she's mm -hmm. the Venusian, you know, the, the more Netzach-oriented Venusian, but then Venus in the sense of that the circle includes the supernals and the ethical triangle, and then the cross below uh, includes the astral triangle and all the way down to Malkut. So the whole process of the unfolding and, and you know, of creation all the way back and all the way around being... Um, being Venus in the higher sense, um, <clears throat> what am I getting at? So she pours down the, the, the supernal waters from Binah and Chogma, and behind <clears throat> her is a tree of life and the tree of knowledge also, but it, uh, rather than a serpent, uh, you know, attempting anybody, it's the bird of Hermes, which is how we know that this is the diagram of Eden after the, the, um, the redemption. So this is uh, yeah. Eden having fallen and then been redeemed, and that the second Adam is actually a woman, and uh, hey, yeah, right. That's why I was like, hey, you got it. You know, it's too bad Crowley threw all this out and made it the emperor for some reason. But no, I uh, yeah, yeah. So that that's the next path after. That's what people have to look forward to who went through the moon card and are wondering why they came up to a, a door and didn't go through. Um, <laughs> I'll have to remember to put him back in Malkut after the interview. <laughs> Hopefully they made it all the way through, or they're going to be in the path of uh, the moon. Oh shoot, that's irresponsible of me. Oh well, <laughs> live and learn for them. <laughs> yeah, we we touched a lot. We went really deep on that. Yeah, I'm really glad we had a chance to talk. Same here. Uh, I guess that's everything from me for now. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's anything else you'd like to follow up on, but I'm more than happy to answer anything else. This has been a great experience. Absolutely. Uh, likewise, I was. I wanted to mention about the star card. There was when you were talking earlier. They were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Um, you were reminding me of um, of the Nuosphere, Tellier de Chardon. Um, you would you wouldn't think he's a Jesuit priest, but he was, um, and he was talking about uh, that same kind of interconnectedness. And I I don't know if he was directly. Um, stating well he, he coined the term cyber and uh was talking about how it would come about through technology and communication that people would eventually have access to all the knowledge in the world at any time and he was writing more more or less around world war ii era so it's kind of prophetic in a way um but he was talking about the omega point there's this book the omega point where he was 
talking about the, the, the second coming of Christ being the awakening of the global brain. And that, um, you know, first it came, came as the grass and that was the earth, you know, kind of like coming, coming alive. And then it came, you know, animals and that was the earth running around and looking at itself. And then came mankind looking around and thinking about and talking about itself. But then with the advent of the noosphere is the awakening of the global brain. And that's when the earth can finally wake up and, and uh, mm -hmm. be conscious through all of us. But. Well, you, you threw out a couple of concepts, right? Well, I like the plug on technology because it's been so useful in my practices. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at all these old grimoires and all these old people that we study that we really look up to in the occult world. And they didn't have the luxury of tapping into an app that right. calculates the stars. Yeah. <laughs> that took hours to do a natal chart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this. It's literally in my phone. I could tell you where the planets are right now, yeah. which direction they're in, and where I'm standing. You know, um, so the fact I, I like technology for that point, not to become dependent on it, but it, right. we already have to a great extent. We've gone too far with it yeah. to say that it's not an extension of the human arm. But you walk down the street, look how many people have a cell phone in their hand. They're not even paying attention to what's going on. Yeah. I don't know how everybody's not getting hit by cars, <laughs> but um. It, it's become an extension of the arm, so use it properly. You know, if you're going to be an occultist, use it, but don't become dependent on it because if it ever crashes and you're left without that technology, yeah. know know how to draw a needle chart at the same time. Yeah. Um, Write down your phone numbers have, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the technology plays a big part. You know, um, and what I do all my documents. Hopefully, Google never never crashes because if it does. <laughs> My whole life work will be wiped out in a second. <laughs> Although I have printouts and everything, so I'll be fine. But, you know, yeah. that would be a pain. Yeah. So, so to a great extent, I'm still relying upon it. Um, and then there was something else that you just mentioned that I glossed over. Oh, yeah, the awakening of the global brain through the people who are taking responsibility uh, for being a, a sentient being with access to all the knowledge in the world. Maybe mm. something like that. But it seems like that would be a painful process that would like not everybody would be on board. There's still going to be people blowing things up. Of course up and... not. Of course not. Yeah. And we still live in a world where people do not get along. And, you know. Yeah. Anybody that's practiced the occult long enough, it's because they have the ability to. Right. I believe that that's the same case for meditation, for any type of enlightening practice. You know, we do it because we're capable of doing it. We don't do it just because we got drawn into it. I see people get drawn into it, and it does not click after no matter how long they try. Yeah. So I think the human race still has a lot of growing up to do, and it's a matter of just keeping things moving little bit by little bit until everybody gets to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. It's hard to be patient. I mean, this whole Trump thing to me is <laughs> seems like you know. It's, I, I, I mean, and you mentioned about communication and technology it seems to me that you know i don't know I, I i have i have mixed feelings on it it reminds me of i don't know if you know dan carlin's hardcore history he was talking about how you know um he wrote a he wrote a uh 
I hope I remember my point. He wrote a thesis about how, you know, Genghis Khan and the Mongols and their, their shenanigans during that period did great things for civilization and, and, and for China and opening up the Silk Route and all this other stuff. And his teacher was Chinese and, and failed him. And he was like, uh, I don't understand why you failed me. This was a really good research paper. And he said, because you completely left out all the horrible, you know, like, like uh, the, the atrocities and the pain and the, and the suffering that was caused by, by them. You know, you can't just leave that out. And he was thinking, well, this was how many hundreds of years ago? But then, you know, his yeah. teacher was comparing it to Hitler. Like, would you say, oh, isn't it great that Hitler came along with the, with the Volkswagen bug and these cool freeways and now there's Israel? You know, like, it's, it's in poor taste, you know, like, you got to wait a few more centuries before you can talk yeah. that way. And so it seems like from present day, advertising and, 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 you know, kind of the forces that are at work, the oil, the phone companies, the, the cable companies, and, and, you know, the, the, the enforced artificial economic tier system that they're doing through the various ways that they're doling out the internet in, 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 in certain places, just all, all of this ugliness, it seems like, yeah, like in 500 years, 800 years, looking back at this period, it will have been a necessary step towards something like, uh, like maybe even someone could look back at the early, you know, Christian church and, and how all that chugged along after the fall of the Roman Empire and be like, oh, well, I guess that was how it had to go. You know, mm. I don't know. Just putting it out there, I guess. <laughs> you know, because it looks ugly, you know, in, in a lot of places. I mean, when you see kids mining cobalt in, in, in the Congo so that people can have cell phones so they can click like on each other, you know, it's it's just, oh, that's weird. It doesn't feel good. You know? Yeah, and we don't know about that stuff. It's like yeah. as long as we don't see it and we don't hear about it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that, that's another major fall with, um, with people nowadays. It's like there's so much not like there's literally I, I've made a lot of changes on very little money and I just use my time you know but um imagine it so many more people are on board to like not do those things right what yeah. that would look like um but when we have the technology that we do now if these people aren't being exploited I don't know and so did it is it worth it yeah, it's, it's messed up. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to be aware, I think, of, of kind of all sides of the spectrum, like to see progress and to acknowledge kind of the horrors of it, but also to be able to not just make it only evil. You know, I mean, because there's a temptation to just kind of go the route of the, the Mennonite, which maybe, maybe that's a perfect, maybe they're right on. Maybe they're the only ones who have it together and everybody else is... You know, but, but uh, you know, just to call it all evil, like anything after the cotton gin is just the devil, you know, like I can kind of see that point of view, but. No, it makes sense from, if you want to put a moral to it, but it depends on what your morals are. Right. If, but if you put that moral spin on it, yeah, it's definitely evil shit going yeah. on. <laughs> or at There's least no mixed. It's not, it's not all sunshine and roses, but yeah, just, I think that concept of god is light and in him there is no darkness at all like in the new testament is kind of like the you know kind of the, the the origin of that sort of new agey like you know angels only just smile and and th you know throw pixie dust kind of stuff yeah i, I think that was a sentence fragment i'm sorry i didn't get didn't didn't arrive at anywhere with that point <laughs> but yeah if you're ever in la look me up and and i'll do the same if i'm in new york and we should definitely have coffee
Oh, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. I would definitely appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I'm wondering. This could be edited out. If, you know, sure. But the uh, um, concept of Vamakara, which is like the Agori. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Out, out in India. That's something that I've been generally looking into. Mm-hmm. Not for... Um, I don't, I don't know my intentions with it, but I, I think that they have some good stuff going on that people don't know about. Yeah. And if I could put in a plug on them, just from a little bit of information. Oh, yeah, I don't need about. to edit it out. We were talking about that in the, the, the Hannah Haddock's interview a few episodes ago. Um, she went and hung out with them in India for a little while and was really into them. So you might even know more about it than me, but... Um, I guess I just basically it's like an extreme form of Buddhism where since everything is sacred, then why not live in the ashes of the dead and, um, you know, eat excrement? You know, I, 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 like extreme well, I, things. Well, I think that it's also they did it because of the case system that they were oh. living in, the social construct. Oh, like a way of getting out. Okay. Yeah, you have the untouchables and you have the Brahmins and everything in between. And, you know, they were like, fuck this. I will go help literally the untouchable the same way I will stop and help the Brahmin. I, I don't care, you know, but that was not allowed. It was oh, completely illegal, you know. So I, I think that what they were doing, what they're still doing is now you see the Brahmins touching the untouchables. You know, something did happen in India recently. I'm not saying it was through their practices or anything, but things have changed over there to a certain extent. Where that case system is starting to fade where their ideas are becoming more plausible and not to the extreme, but they got what they wanted. You know, they yeah. broke the social construct of you're not better than anybody. You're not more sacred. Your flesh is not that important, yeah. you know? And so I think that that's a concept that's um, very, very important in today's world is the social construct, not falling into those. And, Creating your own morals. Find out through experiment, through life experience, what do you find morally just, what do you find morally unjust. And then take a stand on it and go out and do it, regardless of what your peers are. Mm-hmm. I think that that is major. I think that this is everything that you were just talking about. Is That's the solution to it. Not go have sex on dead bodies to do it, but <laughs> break, break the social constructs. You know, if you feel morally wrong about something that you see and you do not want to ignore because it irked you that much, go take a stand on it. You may lose a whole bunch of friends. Yeah. My transition, my transition is something that, um, thankfully it happened today, but still I had to deal with a lot of stuff with family. I had to deal with a lot of stuff with friends. I lost a big network of people and, uh, I did it anyway. I didn't care about the social construct at a certain point. Yeah. And it became, I'm, I'm going to be authentic for myself. This is my way of expressing myself. And it was so much more, and I'm going to do it. Uh, no fear, no reservation. Throw yourself into it in the proper manner. You know, study everything. Yeah. I looked at the whole process. I didn't just start taking pills and hope for the best. No. I really researched the heck out of this before I even approached a doctor and got their opinion about anything. And then took their opinion into account based on everything I studied. And um, so that made for a successful transition. It doesn't mean I didn't lose a lot of people. I just wasn't afraid to lose them at that point, you know. I found I found a moral justification due life experience that propelled me into doing it because I knew yeah. it was right for me. You know, so I think that that concept could be applied to any situation. And I think all of our morals are very, very different. And we do have uh, unique perspectives on life. And because of that, 
we each have a function to fulfill. Some functions that we need to fulfill probably are contradictory. And, well, you know, if enough people have similar motives, it'll happen. Is generally how uh, society develops. So create your own morals. Don't just fall into them. Do what thou wilt, shall we, the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to close. <laughs> 93, Sora, thank you so much for coming on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that this was everything for you. This was yeah. excellent. Was such yeah, this was a lot of fun. Cool. And uh, we'll cool. be in touch. Thank you so much again. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lexi. Sorry. By whatever name I call thee, thou art nameless unto eternity for being our guest on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. And allow the yellow brick road to become a very long slip and slide. You remember those, right? Oh, they call them something else now. Kind of out of the loop. And you slide past the pillars and the jackals look at you wondering what's going on. The sky's crimson, but that green light is still shining everywhere, illuminating everything. And land on the back of the crab, and the crab goes back underwater, and you're going down under the water, and you start to see that light blue light of that palace at the bottom of the sea, and you reach the palace, and you go inside, and you step through and turn around, and you're in your temple in Malkut, right there, standing in front of the portal on the right side of the eastern wall, and you close the veil, and just to confirm that we're here will vibrate the divine name Adonai Haaretz and walk over to the central altar and jump up really high and dive toward the center of that pentacle on the altar and get really small and smaller and smaller and smaller until finally we can start to see the galaxies and then there's oh which one's the virgo cluster which one no seriously which one is it oh crap how are we gonna get oh there it is okay and there's the milky way good good and which one which one does anybody know which one the sun is oh okay we're being automatically drawn to it that makes sense and there's the earth and back into our bodies welcome back to your body I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode, and special thanks to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Jofukuin on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing right now. Special thanks to Camille and Kennerly for the harp intro and outro to the interview itself. Special thanks to David Bowie, to Stellar Drew, Danny Elfman, Mark Mancina, and Lynn Manuel. Miranda, Wolchek Kilar, and Ravel. And of course, special thanks to you, the esoteric nerd, listening to this podcast. Until next time.